Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome back, everybody, to the T3M podcast. I'm your host, Rami Muslah, alongside with my co hosts, Fayad and Anhel. How are you guys doing today? I'll take that as, as alhamdulillah. I think, I think it's great. <laughs> the choir and alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. How are you so, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Excited for today's episode. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about, boys? So, in the beginning of the first episode, we talked about why God. Very briefly. Very briefly. We talked about why God. Then we talked about, okay, God exists. Why Islam? First, we talked about why not Christianity. <laughs> kind of threw it under the bus. Then we talked about why Islam. So now, we have a lot of people that may be falling into cognitive dissonance. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the term. But for those of you who don't know, one example of cognitive dissonance would be two conflicting ideas that are in a person's head. They, do not how to, they, they don't know how to resolve these two conflicting ideas and they trigger a fight or flight reaction, which turns into anxiety or depression or anger, frustration, which is why you see in debates or arguments, especially religious ones or ones that are focused on your worldview, including atheists, when you talk about Darwinism, which has become more of a religion now, they get really anxious and they get really angered and they start insulting. This is due to cognitive dissonance because they don't know how to deal with it. So if throughout this episode, you find yourself getting angry, even though we're not being disrespectful or rude or intolerant or insulting, you might find that you feel as if we are. And this is because of cognitive dissonance because a lot of people, and we talked about in the first episode, how people, they grew up in a very specific way and we're basically a product of our surroundings. And we adopt the views, the politically correct views, of the society in which we grow up in, which is a big issue to deem these as correct, because there would be people on the same earth as you at the same time in a different location that will also grow up on their politically correct views, like the Ugandan movement with the why are you gay guy. His kids will grow up thinking, homosexuality is an absurdity and it is an outrage and it is definitely wrong morally but we will in in the west people say it is politically correct and not just that it is actually morally okay and so on and so forth so how do you reconcile these two different views of life nobody can say oh i'm right because no not everybody can be right and morals is something that you can't necessarily prove unless you believe in objective Mm -hmm. morality So other people will disagree on fundamental views that they have with other people who will disagree on fundamental views that they have. So not everybody can be right. So amongst these views, like I mentioned, homosexuality is the view that all religions, the three Abrahamic religions are homophobic because they disagree with homosexuality on a moral standpoint, Islam specifically. And you guys know that I talked to JC about this on my live and I had a few back and forth videos with him on TikTok about this because he was painting Islam to be this horrible religion that is homophobic and so on and so forth. But upon further investigation, we came to the conclusion that it, it, as a fact, it's not. And many people might, know, not, might not know this, but actually Western views, Western views is what is intolerant or previous Western views is what was intolerant towards homo, homosexuality in a, I would say, in the vile manner that it's been presented in in the past So people adopt this view on homosexuality in the West 
deeming it to be okay and so on and so forth simply because it's politically correct and this is what they were brought up on. There is actually most of the time no scientific grounds for this belief. It is just let people be. And it's this liberalistic idea, but we know the problem with liberalism is not everybody can be ultimately free because that means you can do whatever you want. And we live in a society where you can't do whatever you want. There are restrictions. There are legal responsibilities and obligations. So where did this political movement really start making the impact that it's been making in the West? Fayad, if you want to touch on that subject. No homo, inshallah. Let me touch it right now. So, guys, before we go in, I just want to commend my bro, Rami. Wonderful introduction, wonderful trigger warning. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go into this. So, for those of you that do not know, the APA, or the American Psychiatric Association, is the regulatory governing body in the States, quickly affiliated with the World Health Organization as well. These are like these are the people that set the gold standards for mental illness, psychiatric illness, psychological disorders. These are the people that you go to. They created this book called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder called the DSM. It's had a couple of different modifications and edits and versions, but from its inception until 1973, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, categorized sexual deviance, including homosexuality, pedophilic disorder, transgenderism, as mental illness and dis-ease. I just wanna let you guys know something up front too. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna get Angel because he explains it well. What do we mean when we say dis-ease and when we keep saying it in this talk? Are we trying to be demeaning or what do we mean by that? So when you think about dis-ease, I got this from a, a Sadhguru video that I saw years ago where he basically said like, you break up the word. So now you have dis-ease. If you are in dis-ease, then you're not at ease. Am I right? Like, you, you're not good. You're not happy. You're not at ease. You're not enjoying your life the way that you should be. And that is what a dis-ease is now. Is there more medical terminology on it? Yeah. Is there more psychological terminology on it? Yeah. But in the most simplest terminology, if you are in dis-ease, you're not at ease. You got something wrong. You got something affecting your general state of being. 100%, man. Um, good stuff. That's that He explained it perfectly, guys. We're not trying to be demeaning. We're not trying to say disease like they're sick and they're, they're messed up in the head. We're not not saying that, but that's the beauty of this talk. We're going to really go into both sides. What we are saying, though, is the DSM, not me, not Rami, not Islam, not Christianity, the DSM, gold standard of mental disorder, categorized sexual deviance, all of these different umbrella terms that we talked about, homosexuality, pedophilia, um, gender dysphoria, all of that as mental illness. The APA's nomenclature task force was forced by the people to remove pedophilia, not pedophilia, homosexuality and transgenderism from sexual deviance in 1973. This was not due to any medical advancement, any like technological scientific revolution, any science that proved that it should be removed, but purely due to peaceful protests. And I say that lightly because oftentimes they weren't so peaceful and they were kind of coerced by political agendas and propaganda to remove it. 
they have then further pushed for the removal of pedophilic disorder from the DSM, but that has not been successful as of yet, might change the times we live in. Um, furthermore, I just wanna let you know that they created three fake terms. I say fake, take it with a grain of salt. The first one is homophobic phobia, which is a mental illness categorized by an abnormal fear or anxiety persistently related to some symptom or some stimulus, which isn't true because if you and I go outside and we look at a gay guy and we get scared, okay, that's by definition homophobic phobia. But what they do is they created this political term to coin and coerce those that disagree with the promotion of the LGBT agenda, not those that are actually against or scared of homosexuals, bisexuals, lesbians, trans, so on and so forth. They then coined the term um, partner, which I don't really have a problem with. They just really hated the man and wife, man and woman, wife, husband, or spouse. They really want to use partner, so it, it gives them the sense of inclusion. All of these things that sound, in hindsight, very inclusive, right? They want to put for gender equality, you know, equal this. It sounds good on the surface, but it, it kind of changes tone when you get a little deeper. They then talk about gender identity and pronouns. I got no problem with, but there's no scientific basis. If you're biologically a he, um, but again, you want to be called a she. I don't really see why I got to call you a she just to like make you feel better. There's no scientific foundation for it. We're going to talk about that. Um, and yeah, so what I want to start with is Oh no, I got a quick question for you. You got not gay. You're not gay. All right, cool. Question number two. Huh. This guy, this guy's also a mind reader. Not only does he know martial arts. Uh, this guy, come on, guys, he's single too. I was gonna ask you question number two, inshallah. So you got two healthy arms, bro. Right? You like your arms. I love them. You love your arms. From from your, I guess, genesis of unhealth to age, whatever, we're not going to disclose that right now, but you're, you're in your mid forties in your, in your four decades of life. I'm kidding guys. He's not 40. Um, have you ever felt like you have a problem with your arms that they shouldn't be there, that you want to get them removed? Let's say, let's say Rami's a doctor. Rami is the specialist. He is a psychiatrist. He is a, a brain surgeon. He, he deal, deals with everything with the psyche and neuroscience. You go to him and you're like, hey, doctor, I don't like my arm. I think I got to remove it. I, I just don't feel like it should be a part of me. Rami looks at it and says, hey, bro, it's a, it's a perfectly healthy arm. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no, there's no maladaptive function. There's no, I guess, dis-ease. There's no pathology. There's no um, abnormal function. Why do you want to remove it? And you're just out here saying, I just don't feel like it should be there. Plain and simple. I don't know if you guys know where I'm going with this, but the problem with modern patients and those that are promoting the LGBT movement is they're not trying to become the top dog in modern medicine. They're not though. Only modern medicine is the leader and the innovator of medicine. You as a patient, you can't go to a doctor and try to promote your idea of what the diagnosis should be. Your job as a patient is only to say, these are my symptoms. The doctor comes and says, okay, this is your diagnosis. Modern medicine's turned from what it used to be as treating dis disease and disorders um, to becoming something that just makes you feel better and treats these bad feelings that you might have, which isn't really backed by any evidence, right? 
So let's talk about this first and foremost. John Hopkins Medical School University Hospital, right? Came up with a study, kind of groundbreaking, but kind of not because there's so many studies done on this that support this idea that the suicide rate of trans surgery, right, post-op is astronomically higher than the suicide rate pre-op. What do I mean by that? I mean, the group of people that decide they want to go through transition surgery, sex change, all of that, are 20 times more likely of committing suicide than those that didn't transition. So you really think about it. They're promoting this idea of, okay, you want to become a guy uh, and you were born a girl or you want to become a girl, you were born a guy uh, with something between your legs. Cool. We can amputate that just like that arm because you feel like that. Cool. It'll make you happy. But that's not what the research is really showing. Matter of fact, uh, and I quote, uh, let me see, Dr. McHugh, who's the, who's the research, um, you know, the leader of the study, said that sex reassignment doesn't work. It's impossible to reassign someone's sex physically and attempting to do so doesn't produce good outcomes at all psychosocially. So do you guys have anything to say about that? What are your thoughts about the suicide rates post-op versus pre-op? Did you guys know about that? Is it something that sits right with you? So initially, when you mentioned that a person goes to the doctor with their symptoms and says, this is what I'm experiencing, and the doctor gives a diagnosis, I would say there's actually an issue on that end of the spectrum as well, because we have a lot of doctors who are prematurely di diagnosing young children and young people with um, what I would call transsexuality, which means they're basically, instead of gender instead of just gender dysphoria, they're actually saying, okay, this is the boy who wants to be a girl. Let's make them a girl. And this is at a point where they're not ready to make this decision. And then they make the decision and some of them later regret it. But as a man, and men will know this, you only have the genitalia that you have. So upon removal of this genitalia, it is too late to put it back. So if a person is misdiagnosed by a professional, and then later regrets it, this is going to lead to very, very, to a very depressive state in which a person may want to or no longer want to live anymore. And this is the issue with gender dysphoria and how it's viewed even from some medical perspectives, because when you implement political correctness into the medical world, you get this mess of, okay, because I, I saw this picture and I think it's funny. It was a little cartoon. It was basically a kid goes to the mom and they're like, mom, I'm a dinosaur. And then mom's ignoring the kid. And then the next slide is mom, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a police officer or something like that. And the mom's ignoring the kid. And then one day the boy, because it's a boy, he goes to the mom, the same kid, same mom. He says, mom, I'm a princess. And she's like, oh, you're a girl. Let's get you surgery. And then the doctor's like, okay, hey, Timmy, it's time to... And this is actually one thing I just got to quickly know, bro. First thing, hashtag Abu American. If you know, you know. Yeah, I was about to put it on right now for everyone to see it. There you go. And number two, I really wanted to say this right now. Everything you, you go, that's about, it. Bro, that's yeah, it right there. About, bro, makes sense. Take a look at the, the picture, guys, for a visual depiction of what this man 
was spitting, which was facts. But what I really had to get out there was it fully aligns with the study that I'm looking at right now. Dr. McHugh points to the reality that because sex change, and I quote, is physically impossible, it frequently does not provide the long-term wholeness and happiness remotely that people seek. Unfortunately, many professionals now view healthcare, including mental health care, like Rami said, primarily as a means of fulfilling patient desires rather than treating pathology, whatever those are. Yeah. So I want to I pose a question to you and everybody at home. Which is easier to change? Genetic biology or your psychology? You want us to answer that? Yeah. Which is easier to change? Your genetic biology or your biology genetically? Or, and this includes sex and gender and so on and so forth, or your psychology? Which is yeah. easier to change? This is pretty obvious. Psychology. Yeah. Genetically, you can't change yourself. If we could genetically modify ourselves, I would have a beard by now. Unfortunately, we can't do that. If you really think about it, what he said, um, even if I don't want to change my psychology, it changes itself sometimes. Mental state, moods, emotions. Rather, yeah. biology, you can't leave it alone and let it change itself. Unless it's like puberty or something like that. But yeah, you're yeah, right. It's, it's kind of While we're on this topic, I want to mention that I came across this TikTok video and it was of this, of this young man who was uh, debating with a conservative online and the conservative was a, a hard-headed individual, right? This person brought sources and arguments and this person just said, gender is not a flavor of ice cream. You can't choose which one you want, so on and so forth. And even though I, I do agree with him, he wasn't addressing the point. And the point he brought up was, one, and this is something that I want to get out of the way. If anyone thinks this is an argument, I want to get it out of the way when it comes to um, there being multiple genders or transgenderism and so on and so forth. Two arguments he made. Firstly, there are multiple sexes, five or six that we have found currently. And what he's referring to is the fact that there is XX, which is for a male, correct? No, female. That's for a female, XX for a female. Okay, thank you, that's why I asked. <laughs> and then XY is for a male then, correct? Yeah. There are other versions such as XXXY, which seems to be the most rare occurrence with births, they range anywhere from one in every 18,000 births to one in every 50,000 births. That's how, it's, that's how rare it is. So we tried to make this argument and say that there are so many sexes, therefore there are different genders. But if you actually do a quick scholarly research, look up scholarly papers, you'll find that XXXY actually is a chromosomal um, abnormality. abnormality, thank you, that only occurs in men biological males and it, it affects things like their um uh intellectual uh scope it may intellectually disable them in some sense it may um weaken their muscle tone it may shorten their wee wee <laughs> right. it it may uh cause infertility but this is only in males so mm -hmm. at the end of the day you still have a male and with other ones you still have a female so this is not really an argument. And the second argument he made was one I found a lot more convincing, but it does not have enough ground to stand on. And what he said was that transgender people, the transsexual people, from a young age, their brain scans line up more with the gender they prefer than the gender they're given biologically, which poses a question, one, which is easier to change, psychology or biology? You can't change biology, therefore, psychology is the only one. But people have it the other way around, where they want to change the biology the objective mm -hmm. truth 
to fit their subjective psychology, which may fluctuate, which may change. But there is a doctor, I, th- I believe a few decades ago in the 70s, actually, named Stoller. And he actually did uh, research and he had this theory that he wanted to uh, propose and, and investigate that young men, prettier men, young boys who are seen as more attractive, cute boys are are you pointing down? <laughs> on my you screen, pointing you're pointing at, at a bro. black space. <laughs> yeah, you pointing at a black space over here. <laughs> on my screen, you just pointed to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but fair. So he hypothesized that more attractive young men or young boys are treated more feminine, therefore develop more feminine psychology, female mm. psychology. And men, or, or, uh, uglier looking young girls are treated more like men and therefore develop more man-like psychology. He put this to the test and he found this to be true. He mm. found this to be true. One year he investigated with the boys, found it to be true. And in one year he investigated with the girls, I believe. And he also found it to be true. And when I say I believe, I don't know if it was in the same year or years apart. Uh, what I remember was a year or two apart, but God knows best. He did these experiments, experiments nonetheless. And we find that in present day psychology, scholarly articles. You can look these all up yourself if you don't believe me. Psych, uh, psychologically, we're affected by our surroundings and how we are treated by others, which is why you'll find a lot of people, a lot of people who have daddy issues, a lot of girls who have daddy issues go for like messed up men or a lot of homosexual people actually have a traumatic upbringing or they were molested as a kid or they um, didn't have a father figure in their life or there is some kind of what we would call a traumatic experience in their upbringing as a young kid or even as a, a teen or a preteen or sometimes even as an adult in some cases that affects them psychologically to the point where they begin to believe these things about themselves and look to make this a, an objective reality by changing what, sure. as the article you mentioned um, by that university mentioned, is not changeable. See, bro, there's this wonderful thing that Angel enlightened me with. And it was that all men are born men. Do you want to like go a little deeper into that for the for the audience? You want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So he was telling me something how like all men are born men, but not the same. There's varying degrees and tendencies of testosterone, masculine energy, right? So go a little bit into that. Dude, I, I don't remember. All right, let me remind you, bro. You're still born a guy. Nine out of 10 guys have a gay thought growing up. Ah, there we go. There we go. So see like this uh, in our heads. Let's say every single day we have more than just a rough estimate of let's say 5,000 thoughts, just an estimate. It's, it's not an exact number, right? Let's say you have 5,000 thoughts running in your head. Are you in control of those 5,000 thoughts? No, you're not in control. You're probably in control maybe like 50. And that's being generous, maybe 100, maybe 100. All right, now if you're in control of so little, you, you, you control just the tip. Literally, just a tip. And there's all these thoughts that are just out of your control. Now, imagine you have a thought that runs in your head that you're gay. And does it necessarily mean you're gay? 
or is it just a random thought? Imagine someone has a thought in their head that they want to end this person's life. Does it actually mean they want to end this person's life or is it just a random thought? And that's what you got to ask yourself is like, all right, if I'm having thoughts that I'm gay, all right, let's say nine out of 10 dudes have this thought. Not all of them are going to fall victim to that thought in and of itself. Like that thought may come and they might just laugh at it or they might just completely write it off and just let it pass and they'll continue on with their lives. They might get it again here and there, but they'll continue on with their lives. Right? But then you have that one dude who, okay, now he has this thought coming in his head where instead of him being able to laugh it off, instead of him being able to write it off, he starts asking himself, yo, I just thought about this. Am, am I actually gay? And then that's where it becomes a dis-ease because now, before he was at ease, he didn't have any problem. Now this thought, this random thought ran across his head and he's thinking to himself, am I gay because I had this thought? And if he continues to think about that, he begins to obsess over this one thought. And when you obsess over something, that's what begins to develop even more and more and more. The more attention you give to it, the more it's going to develop. So imagine this dude is all he's thinking about is, am I gay? Am I gay? And he can't get this out of his head. And now, bro, a year later, he's under the full impression that he's he's gay because he has these thoughts running in his head. And he's over here looking at dudes like, oh, man, I I can't believe I I can't believe I'm gay. And I, I can't even have a, a friendship with this dude over here because I had these conflicting thoughts running inside my head. When it's like, that's what a dis-ease is, man. It's like, it all started in the mind. It was psychological. But because he fell victim to that thought, that's what began to develop. It's, it's, it makes no difference whether it's a thought of homosexuality, whether it's a thought of ending your own life, ending a life of another person, a thought of anxiety, a thought of depression, it literally doesn't matter what thought is planted in your mind at that moment. If you fall victim to it, like that's what's going to, uh, for lack of better words, develop. Mm, you say develop, though, but like, do you have any like experience with that? Like in real life, do you know anyone gay? Do you, because I don't know, I'm just speaking from on behalf of me, I don't know anyone like directly that I was super close with and you on a frequent basis. But what yeah, about you? Yeah, so I had. When I was doing personal training, I'll, I'll keep names aside. I don't, I don't want to, like, put anyone on the spot here. But when I was doing personal training, I had a client who, he was gay. Literally, he was gay. There was no question. Like, you could see him from miles away, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, this dude's gay. He was a big gay over here. And he was cool with that. He was real, he was real, <laughs> he was real happy with it. And, like, you know, as I'm training him, I try to, like, I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. I try to like still see him in no different way. I still try to like just be real and be genuine with him, which I mean, that's, that's how you should be with everyone. But this dude, I remember I started asking him why he was gay, you know, like not joking around. I wasn't trying to be like uh pasta senpa, you know, like, and I know he's not joking around. I know he's probably real, real legit about that. And I, I, let me get back to you. All right. So I'm asking him, why is he gay? And he he told me that he had a traumatic experience when he was a kid 
where he actually got raped or not raped, but um, sexually molested. sexually abused. Yeah, sexually molested by I want to say it was his cousin or his uncle or some male that was in his family that he trusted at a young age. All right, that he trusted. So his first sexual experience was with a man, and it was with someone who was close to him that he trusted. So he's all kinds of messed up. All right, and then. When, it, when he told me that, I remember I went home and I started researching this and I was like, do most gay people have a traumatic childhood experience? And, you know, from what I got, yes, most tend to actually have that. You research it yourself. Um, I'm not going to claim that to be 100% the truth, but in this example that I'm giving to you guys, like it, it is the truth in this example, because for him, he obviously had an issue and look what happened to him. And then when I started asking him even more questions, he actually ended up telling me that he still got aroused by a woman, but that he just gets more aroused by a man, which mm-hmm. when I, when I heard that, I was like, dude, you're not gay. I literally told him, I was like, you are not gay. And then mm-hmm. he like looked at me, but he was shook. He like looked at me. And I was like, Bro, listen, you are not gay because you are still aroused by a woman. You can't say you're bisexual. I do not believe that someone is bisexual. If someone's bisexual, they're just trying to make an excuse for being gay. But look, if you're being aroused by a woman and you're saying you're, you, you're more aroused by a man right now, that's because of what you went through as a kid. It's, bro, it's like someone, and I don't want to get too deep into detail here, but it's like someone getting into explicit adult content on the internet. You guys know what I'm talking about, the, the sexual stuff. I, I don't need to go in detail with the naming. But when someone gets into this stuff, they start off, let's say, on like something normal. And then that progresses into something pretty nasty. Pretty nasty. I like... I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to get into detail, but my first things that I used to watch were pretty disgusting. And for a while, that's the only thing that aroused me. But it's like, once I stopped watching this stuff, that no longer aroused me. And then it was the normal things that aroused me, like a normal woman, like a normal interaction with a woman, you know, just talking and having a conversation like that. That made me feel some type of way. And what I'm trying to say here is that what happened to this dude in his childhood caused him to basically have this, almost this like set thing where it's like, ah, this is what's arousing me. But it's like, if he could only either one, get help externally from someone close to him, like family or psychologic, you know, a psychologist, or two, dude, look within, man, like meditate and pray like spend time with yourself and like really just get down to these root issues and really ask yourself the question, why are you gay? And like, you'll, you'll probably hear yourself. And that's what I'm trying to say is that like the dude ended up telling me all this stuff and, um, just crazy, dude. Yo, I commend you for not, you know, leaving his names out, leaving his identity and all that. But it was an excellent story, man. At the end of the day, I get it. You have a kid who's, five, six, seven, 
like breaks my heart that they're even younger sometimes. But they're out here with someone like Brother Angel said, someone they trust, an older cousin, uncle, sometimes even their grandfather, who knows. And they're out here having their first event that gets them the most physically aroused being a guy. Just like Anel said, he still in his later life felt aroused from a girl, but it was never the same. He's out here chasing that first high. You will never get that first high. That's why people get psychologically addicted to weed. All they're trying to do from a Freudian perspective is they're trying to recreate that first high. Bad news, guys, you will never get that first high. You think you will, and that's why you fall into an addiction. But anyway, that's not the, you know, there. the point that Angel was trying to say leads into my next discovery from my research, which is kind of crazy. The overwhelming majority of child molestation is homosexual. What that means is if you have two groups, you got one group of heterosexuals, one group of homosexuals, the pr probability that the second group of homosexuals would have a child molester in that group is astronomically higher than the probability that there would be one in the heterosexual group. This largely, like my bro said, stems from childhood abuse and trauma. The first most intense aroused experience a guy has. If it's from a guy and he got kind of raped, not kind of, let's not, let's not beat around the bush. It was sexual abuse, it was childhood misconduct and molestation. They pretty much got off to that psychologically, if not physically. And now they're trained psychosocially to only crave that. Thinking they're gay, thinking that's what's, what's gonna get them off. I also agree guys not to like talk more about the videos that Anho was talking about. Um, you know, Alhamdulillah, I'm pretty sure we all broke free from that. But I remember like when I used to partake in that and watching it, it was, it was crazy. Like there was a lot of times I feel like it does have a lot to do with homosexuality. There'd be, there are different angles. You guys know what I'm talking about. They would zoom in to the guy. I'm like, yo, why are they showing this? I'm not trying to see this. Like, I didn't come here for this. And they're zooming into things that I'm not trying to see. And it's like, you might not think about it, you know, like as literally as, okay, cool. I'm slowly becoming gay, but it is kind of conditioning you. And at the very least, desensitizing you to being okay seeing that. Things that weren't there before this whole multi-trillion dollar industry. Isn't that sad? But yo, and let me let me piggyback off that for a second. I'll pass it right back. But um, it's not just sexual molestation. You know, that's something from my own research and from my own uh, insight. You know, meditating and praying on it. But it's from any traumatic experience in childhood. So like me being abused in my childhood, like there could have been a huge probability that I could have gone down that path. But, you know, alhamdulillah. I did Are you not, talking about like, abuse becomes the abuser? Hmm? Are you talking about abuse becomes the abuser type scenario? Yes, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's also true, but I'm talking about homosexuality. Mm, okay. I'm talking about that it's not just a traumatic sexual experience in your childhood because there's, there's probably some people that might be watching it who might be saying, ah, but I've never had a sexual traumatic experience in my childhood and I'm gay. Like I said, it's not just sexually traumatic experiences, any traumatic experience that's like, it's just too much for you to process as a little kid. Mm -hmm. It's too much for you to process. So what you end up doing as a little kid is you, you throw it into the back, the recesses of your mind to where it's like, you, you just, 
you're trying to get away from it. You, you're doing everything possible to get away from it, which let's be honest, that's, that's what we do as kids. We couldn't really deal with um, anything that was too, too big, too demanding, too traumatic. You know, at least that's what I can say from experience when I was being abused as a kid. But it's like, I'm saying that I went through that as a kid and there was a huge probability that I could have gone down that path of developing homosexuality or whatever other mental, I'm not going to say disorder because we already talked about this, but dis-ease of the mind. Dis-ease, dis-ease of the mind. But alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Man. Yo, uh, major respect for sharing that with us. But yeah, I, I don't think I got to say no further. I think he perfectly reiterated my point. Next thing I want to talk about, probably not going to take more than 10 seconds. HIV and AIDS transmission is abnormally higher, guys. In the world, in nature, in different populations, in countries, in continents, just because of homosexuality and this agenda that they're pushing forward. Rami, you got some stats on getting checkups and sh- I don't know about that. So, enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, so the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, actually have a few um, articles and very easy read-ups on this. Mm-hmm. So, on average, I'll say, different sites may report different things, but generally it's all the same. So, I find that this website is a bit easygoing, easygoing when it comes to the way they word things. Like the way they word this point where they say, and I quote, again, this is the CDC, sexually active, and, uh, sexually active gay and bisexual men may benefit from more frequent HIV testing. And they put, example, every three to six months. And this is actually something you find consistently on most of the medical websites out there when they talk about homosexuals or sexually active homosexuals um, getting tested for HIV um, and other S- uh, STDs and such. And most of them are encouraged to get tested every three to six months. Where, as the next point, it says anyone who has unsafe sex or shares injection uh, drug equipment, and we're talking about sharing drug equipment, right? Like a needle or something. They're only required to get tested once a year on average. They have other statistics like uh, all adults and adolescents from 13 to 64 should be tested at least once a year. Um, certain people should be tested at least once, is all they say, at least once for HIV. Um, so on is actually they don't even say this is what this is the point where they say 13 to 64 year olds um, should be tested at least once for HIV. They don't even say once a year. They just mm-hmm. say at least once. And sexually active homosexual people are required to get it done more frequently. And now this is because obviously they have a higher risk of contracting something. And this is not just limited to homosexual. It is amplified with homosexual intercourse, but it's actually with anal intercourse as well as a whole, which is why Allah also prohibits anal intercourse, even if it's a man to a woman Mm. rather than a man to a man, because that is haram. I forget the wording Allah uses in the Quran, but he makes it known that it 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 is very bad. It's haram. So mm-hmm. even looking at it from that perspective, if two homosexuals have intercourse and there's, for lack of a better word to use, clear uh, wording, they, there's anal penetration, they're more likely to contract an STD through those means. And they're more likely than any promiscuous person 
who has multiple partners. I'll just put it like this. A homosexual man who has multiple partners, who are homosexual men, must get checked more frequently than a heterosexual man who has multiple uh, multiple, uh, partners. And this is, again, like I said, because they're at greater risk. So we see that there is a, a uh, infectious risk and a risk of actual diseases, sexually tra- tra- transmitted diseases, when it comes to homosexuality as a practice, as a practice, nothing psychological, but as a practice. Um, if you want, any, if you have anything to say on this comment, um, but I wanted to mention something about the last point quickly. So am I free to do so? Right, so if this is not just with homosexuality becoming more normalized and um, more open for people to see, even people of a very young age. For some reason, they're teaching very young children uh, sex ed, where I actually have a friend who told me that learning about sex ed messed them up. As a young kid, they were not ready. It messed them up. And this is unfortunately the experience of many young kids who don't know anything about even being straight or homosexuality or anything like that. They, they, don't, they don't know anything about sex. They're young kids. They didn't have any puberty. They shouldn't know about this stuff, but they're taught it in school nonetheless. And this could effectively mess them up as well, which is an issue. And if you look just generally at promiscuity in the West, you could see that decades ago on TV, television, it wasn't really promiscuous. You didn't see much. And then later on, they came out with pornography in like cinemas or a more cinematic setting and magazines and Playboy Mansion and all this provocative stuff. And then it made its way onto television. And as it made its way onto television, it made its way into the hearts and the minds of people who became more promiscuous. And that's why we normalize today. We normalize things like cheating. Back before I was practicing, I had a girl ask me if she can just for one day, just for a night, hook up with somebody else at a a rave. She doesn't even know who it's going to be just to have fun. And like, when, when was this normal? When did this become a normal thing? And it's because it propagated so much on media and in society, it's become normal. And we see, I'm just about to end, just about to end. And we see with homosexuality, they're also putting this into the media and it's open for everybody, men, children, uh, uh, well, men, women, and children to see. Mm, alhamdulillah, man. I was gonna add that it's also in those videos that we were talking about, the whole industry. There's a lot of weird topics, man. Cheating, incest. I don't know, man. Like, makes me feel some type of way. But anyway, guys, I just want to reiterate, reiterate quickly the points that we have. And just know we're not, we're not out here like being some like scholars. Like, but I'm just gonna speak for myself. Like, I'm a grad student studying like osteopathic medicine. I've done my undergrad. I'm 20. I'm over 22. So like, I'm out here. Like, I really like science. I don't, you know. I don't believe in things that have no basis. So trust me when I tell you that when I'm looking at all these, these studies I have here, like kind of like what Anhel was bringing up, I got studies for everything. Does maltreatment in childhood affect sexual orientation in adulthood? Uh, prevalence of childhood sexual abuse among LGBT meta-analysis. Disparities in childhood abuse victimization in physical and sexual abuse, like he said, in heterosexual versus lesbians and bisexuals. There's, there's too much, but it's not something that we're just pulling out of thin air. And I hope you guys understand all the points that we brought so far. If you guys do have anything to say about that, please reach out to us. Definitely. We're, we're looking to just spread truth, spread scientific, I guess, foundation, not something that we just feel should be or shouldn't be. 
Uh, but yeah, to reiterate the points, the, the DSM completely removed by the APA's nomenclature tax force, homosexuality and transgenderism from sexual deviance, purely due to protests, you can find this anywhere you look, not due to scientific advancement or medic, medicinal or medical, uh, I guess, revolution, right? They then created these terms like partner homophobia, which homophobia doesn't make sense because it's a, more of a political statement than a phobia, which doesn't do a medical disorder justice. They talked about gender identity and pronouns, which we could talk about later. Um, then we, we talked about uh, how modern medicine today, or at least the LGBTQ community, is telling us to go to the doctor and share our thoughts and emotion and create a diagnosis ourselves, rather than giving them the symptoms, which is medically sound, and let them deem the diagnosis. We then talked about how suicide rates post-op are astronomically higher than pre-op. Guys, why would we suggest a movement that has a suicide rate 20 times higher post-op than pre-op? Like, this is insane. I'm just reading some of the stuff right now. The overall mortality for sex reassigned persons was higher by 20-fold than controls. Sex reassigned persons also had an increased risk for suicide attempts and psychiatric inpatient care. So it's not just suicide, it's just death from all of the causes, period. Psychiatric inpatient care, comparisons with control matched on reassigned sex yield for higher anxiety and for higher mental dis-ease, right? We then talked about HIV and AIDS transmission. Uh, and tying it back into Islam, guys, homosexuality, which by definition is just a feeling, an inclination toward being attracted to the same sex, right? Just like Anil said, we all had that thought. Nine out of 10 guys had that thought at least once in their lifetime. It's a feeling, it's an emotion. Allah does not, I guess, condemn us for thoughts and emotions. We don't get sins for these thoughts, right? So let's get that clear. Islam doesn't say, okay, it's bad to have thoughts, it's bad to do this. You know, this whole homosexuality thing, take that out. It's the act that we're talking about, right? Because the act is now legitimizing a pathology by definition of what we talked about so far that you had up here. It's legitimizing and taking action on something that was transient, which is an emotion, which is kind of, doesn't make sense to me. It's like, do we not have thoughts of committing murder? Maybe, right? Don't, don't take words out of my mouth, guys, but are we gonna go commit these acts? How does that make us any different than animals? You might say, oh, animals have, you know, homosexuality occurs naturally in nature. Yeah, so does infanticide and, and genocide and murder. Where do you draw the line? There's this thing called trans age coming out, guys and girls. It's, it's basically saying you can identify as a different age because you feel like you are that age. What does that mean? There, there's this guy who's, who's a child molester, a pedophile. He, he said the same thing as the LGBTQ people, that I was born this way. He was 60. He molested a 10-year-old, and he said he identified as an 11-year-old during that. I believe he was 11 or nine, which makes no sense. And what's next? People are gonna try to identify as different species. I don't know, man, like it makes me feel some type of way that as a society, in hindsight, this whole movement tells you, yeah, we want equality. Yeah, we're trying to be progressive. But it makes me think that it's kind of regressive. I don't know, do you wanna elaborate on that a bit? No. I mean, I'm I'm ready to play devil's advocate, but I feel like Rami has something to add on that. All right, let's go for it then. 
but yeah, guys, I feel like I feel like we've we've done more than enough of a solid scientific foundation, and you're ready to you're ready for me to ask you the question, bro. Why are you gay? Why are you gay? No, but real talk. <laughs> I'm about to play devil's advocate with y'all. Okay, so big question that uh, is thrown out is um, why are gay people treated the way they're treated in Islamic countries? Why are they stoned to death? Why are they uh, treated like trash? Mm. You know, right. if, if, if Islam is such a peaceful religion, why is it that homosexual dudes, homosexual women are being stoned to death? Okay, I got countries? an answer, but mm. I look up to Rami in a lot of different affairs and different, I guess, more, you know, things that people are unsure of. I, I look, look at him for guidance sometimes, so... I want him to go for it first, and I'm gonna I'm gonna see if it aligns with my answer. All right, inshallah. If there's anything I missed, feel free to jump in, either of you. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So, the issue is, people correspond Muslim countries with Islam and Islamic law, but there's an issue with this. Islamic law is just Islamic law. You don't have different versions of it. It's just Islamic law, but there are different countries which all have different rulings. So, who's right? Which one fully represents Islam? And the truth of the matter is none of them fully represent Islam, not even Saudi Arabia, which everybody loves to pull out. Well, Saudi Arabia does not let women drive. Therefore, Islam oppresses women. This is a false deductive argument because it operates under the assumption that Saudi Arabia perfectly follows Islam. But if you look at the most basic idea of Islam or the basic, uh, one of the more basic laws of Sharia in Islam, which is Sharia just means Islamic law, is that there should be one Muslim nation with one ruler. But what do we have? We have King Abdullah, King Muhammad, King this, King that, this leader, that leader, this president, that president for Muslim lands all throughout the globe, predominantly in the Middle East. Now, this is an issue because this directly goes against Islam. So what else are they missing when it comes to Islam? So we look back to where it started. And it actually started with the fall of the Ottoman Empire. They were in a very weak state, and it was during World War I. They got involved, they lost, and Ottoman, there was no such thing as Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq back then. It was just, all of it was the Ottoman Empire, ruled by them. They fell, and people literally drew the map of the Middle East and said, this is Jordan, this is Syria, this is Lebanon. And it's just a clear case of dividing and conquering. Now, with this divide and conquer, and this, this movement from the West, this strategy from the West, they also colonized these places as you have U.S. embassies and even Israel embassies in places in the Middle East. They have colonized these lands and implemented their views and their moral standings, predominantly Judeo-Christian views, onto the Middle East. And now, Judeo-Christian views, we see, had things in the past like slavery, like murdering apostates, murdering people who don't really agree with your religious views, the predominant ones. You have things like murdering homosexual people, burning people you suspect to be uh, witches. I wouldn't say that's necessarily Judeo-Christian, but it was more of the uh, previous, like hundreds of years back kind of uh, view. If there was a witch, burn her alive, so on and so forth. 
And if you look at the history of when the Ottoman empires did something like uh, enacted punitive laws, death penalties, there's actually transcribes of the, uh, some of their, their writings and their findings and so on and so forth. And you, if you read it, you'll actually find that they were a lot more reluctant. They didn't want to do these punishments, but it was the law, therefore they did it. But if you look at the West, they seemed a bit overly excited to do these things because it happened so often where somebody would be murdered for this, that, or the other. So it was a Western view that was actually implemented onto Islamic countries, Islamic countries, majority Muslim countries. But if you look throughout the Quran and the Sunnah, you will find little to no basis unless you take one narration or one story, like the story of Lut in the Quran, completely out of context without all the other hadith and the scholarly opinions and the writings of the most original scholars of Islam and people who are deemed to be the giants of Islam. Real quick though, yeah. just for people that aren't too familiar with the story of Nuh Do you want to just give the, the quickest quick notes that you can, quick notes? Okay, so I'll, I'll start with devil's advocate. What they say is the people of Lot, which is the English version, the people of Lot were gay and God destroyed them. Therefore, religion is intolerant towards gay people and believes they should be destroyed. But if you look in Surah Sa'd in the Quran, what does Allah say? Allah lists a bunch of nations, and I believe Qawm and Lut was the people of Lot, were one of them, I believe. And he says, all of these people took their messengers as a liar and disbelieved in the messengers, so my punishment was justified. So Allah is saying he punishes nations for what? Disbelieving in the messenger and their message, which is to believe in God. That's why God punishes these people. He doesn't say in the Quran, they were gay, and that's the only reason we punish them. Homosexuality, the act of it is a sin. And they engage in that. But there are narrations of them being, uh, I think, uh, robbers and thieves and murderers. And uh, even biblical stories mention uh, a practice of sodomy and practices of putting a baby in a statue's arms and, and making, basically killing the baby and letting it cry and banging drums. This is something my friend Seth told me who's, who's studying Christianity now. And banging drums to drown out the sound of the crying baby. So these were not amazing, kind, innocent people who just wanted to be gay. These are actually very violent thieves, murderers, people who practice um, killing babies, if that was a practice. And, um, and the biggest, gravest sin was actually disbelieving in God. And that's why they were punished more specifically. Mm. Yeah, man, like, nowhere, we, you know, we're not saying all gay people are this, all gay people are that. What we are saying is you're doing something relying on emotion. It clouds your judgment so much so as some of these people who are child molesters would destroy <clears throat> and let's not be, let's be blunt now, dehumanize an innocent victim child. These aren't people that you want to rely on for moral backbone. So it's not surprising that they had all these other issues that you speak of, bro. Yeah. It breaks my heart. It truly does. But... <clears throat> We do want to let you guys know that we love the LGBTQ community in the sense that we do have love for them as human beings. Maybe even, I, I, it might sound like a reach to some of y'all, but I got love for them more than the, these people running the system of the LGBTQ movement because I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to restore happiness and balance in their lives, the natural state, not 
do something that's leading to more suicides, more kids being messed up. And I feel like we got to draw the line somewhere. So if not now, then when? If not us, then who? Right? Yeah, man. That's a very good question. And what was Anil's question again that he asked you? The the first question he asked was about, um, like, why are these Muslim countries treating these uh, gay people like that? So just to summarize it, it's actually not Islamic views. These may be Muslim majority countries, but they don't get it from Islamic views. And actually, a lot of these countries falter in a lot of places, including Saudi Arabia, because you will not find much bearing in the Quran and the Hadith, which are the authentic sources in uh, religious texts, holy scripture of Islam. I agree, man. Right, so would you, would you guys say that if someone is gay, someone is trans, if someone is whatever the hell they are, right, LGBT, IQ, not trying to disrespect it, but why you guys have so much letters beyond me, if someone is one of these things, is that or is it not their jihad? And if it is a jihad, why don't you go ahead and elaborate on that for people viewing? Because I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are going to think that jihad is uh, these extremists that are going about doing all these crazy things, if you know what I mean. So Rami taught me, I guess, linguistically what jihad even means. So why don't you start from there, bro? So jihad actually means just a struggle. And jihad sabilillah means a struggle for the sake of Allah. Now, a lot of people apply this to, as Anhil said, jihadists, which are Islamic extremists, which are predominantly not great people because they commit acts of terrorism and so on and so forth. So when we say jihad, people think this means holy war. It does not mean a holy war. It does not mean war in, at all, actually. It just means to struggle. So we pray very early in the morning before the sun even comes up. So this is Salat al-Fajr. And it's nowadays uh, where me and Fayed live, it's around uh, six o'clock, I believe. And the sun comes up around 730. Yeah. So <clears throat> we have to wake up early and it's a struggle sometimes. And that is jihad because we're struggling for the sake of Allah. Mm-hmm. That's jihad sabilillah. So if a me as a straight man is attracted to a woman, but I hold myself back because I don't want to fall into sin. It's a struggle. That is jihad sabilillah. That is struggling for the sake of God. And that's rewardable. So now, if you have a person who has homosexual inclinations and they do the same, they hold back, even though it is a struggle, that's struggling for the sake of Allah, and this person will be greatly rewarded. A lot of people, Muslims, unfortunately, have this presupposition that if you feel gay, you are basically going to hell, and that's the end of it. But there's an issue with this, because feeling gay is something that people can't necessarily control. And there's multiple narrations of the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, where he said that, Allah will not punish a person for whatever evil thought comes to their mind. Evil meaning it's immoral in terms of Islamic objective morality. So if Allah doesn't punish a person or give them a sin for thinking evil, feeling evil, then they haven't done any evil. The evil, the immoral act, so to speak, actually comes from the action itself, followed by an intention to do or coming from the intention to do that action. So a person, whether they are straight or homosexual, does not get a sin until they actually act on their desires. Mm. And if they hold back, just to bring it back to the point, if they hold back, that is them struggling for the sake of Allah, which is jihad. I love, I love Islam, man, from the bottom of my heart for that alone, that 
if you have a thought of stealing, for example, and then you end up not stealing, you get more good deeds than the person that didn't even have the thought of stealing to begin with. Yeah, subhanAllah. Thing. Yeah. I like that. But to bring it to bring it back, guys, like this message, I understand Anil's question completely. Like it is a stigma, and this I'm assuming, all right. Just like I might be called out for assuming people's genders today. I'm also assuming most of our viewers are straight, heterosexual, call me whatever. But based Probably on Muslim as well. Hmm? Nah, go ahead. Yeah, but based on that assumption, guys and girls, you guys are straight more times than not, like most of our viewers. So you're probably wondering, why are we telling you this? Wouldn't it be useful to have a gay guy or someone of the LGBTQI, whatever he said, alphabet community? Wouldn't it be more beneficial? Wouldn't it be something, <laughs> not to like mean anything, but wouldn't it be more resourceful and valuable? Nah, because why would it, why would we, doesn't it start with us? Shouldn't we lead by example? Like, yeah. how many people do you think are growing up in the Muslim youth community? And they might have these thoughts that Angel clearly through anecdotal evidence and through his client as a PT mentioned that they might have these thoughts growing up. Like, why are we out here like ostracizing them in society? As a Muslim guy, as, a, as I can relate, a lot of Muslim youth today might have these weird thoughts, taboo thoughts, and they might, what are they gonna do? go to the masjid and talk to the imam who's just probably going to call them out and air their sins nah man like this is not the way like and before that let me let me draw a simple analogy so you so it really drives and tattoos the point to the inside of your skulls we have this pandemic right now COVID-19 are we going to go to the people that already have the virus and be like guys let's let, like and then we do our dawah and then tell them okay this is how you stay safe nah man they already got it what are we doing today we're not wearing masks okay, to save the people that already have COVID-19, right? We're wearing masks and we're doing all these things, clean, wash your hands, disinfect, use alcohol wipes, uh, you know, don't give everyone a tongue bath outside. Why are we doing these things? Because we want to stop preventing and we want to stop and prevent the spread of COVID-19 to the people that are already healthy. The people, the mass majority of the population, 99, whatever percent that hasn't gotten COVID, we want to help keep them straight, right? So we don't want them getting COVID. So what we're gonna do is target them as the main, I guess, group demographic to help tackle this, this issue. I'm not comparing COVID-19 to, um, to homosexuality, but what I am doing is explaining why it's beneficial to not always go to the people that you kind of want to give the truth to because you do more through leading by example, oftentimes, than just going directly head on. Because even though we might not go head on, we might not attack people, a lot of people I've seen from my experience in that community take everything very personally, take everything like, like not like a grain of salt, like you're attacking their nature, you're cursing them, and they get very butthurt about it. <clears throat> and we're just trying to have a, a discussion. Yo, and to add on to that, if it is indeed a jihad, their jihad, and it's something that they have to struggle and they have to get past, would it then be something that they're going to be fighting for the rest of their life? Hmm. 
I mean, that is a case-to-case basis. I've actually heard, believe it or not, I've actually heard of, of cases where imams um, talk about, well, the imams talk about cases where they have people who come and they say they're gay and then eventually through whatever process they take, I don't know the details of it, they're actually they're no longer gay. So in some cases you will have that. And in some cases you may not have that. But Allah knows best. Yeah, bro, but isn't there a gay gene? I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, no, there is no such thing as far as we know. There's no such thing as the uh, a gay gene. So just quickly, I want to I wanna mention, uh, because you mentioned the DSM and the mm-hmm. APA, there's an article titled, a scholarly article titled, Homosexuality and Scientific Evidence on Suspect Anecdotes, Antiquated Data, and Broad Generalizations by Robert L. Kinney III. And he basically talks about how the APA's evidence upon critiquing it actually does not result in their conclusion, which is that homosexuality is not uh, a disorder and therefore should be removed from the DSM. So I encourage people to take a quick look at this. It's fairly long, so read whatever you want from it, take whatever you want from it. Um, But he provides reasons as to why um, their evidence is not sufficient enough, basically. So, bismillah. When it comes to a trait, traits or characteristics of a human being, as far as I know, there's only two forms. There are genetic traits, characteristics, and there are psychological traits or characteristics. I ask all anybody else if there are any other types other than genetic slash biological or psychological, let me know what they would be. I personally can't think of any. I've not heard of anyone. Uh, I've not heard of any other one. Just to reiterate your point, bro, you're right, 100%. There's only three determining factors to any expression of any trait. It's going to be genetic, environmental, or the third one, epigenetic, which is the interaction of the genetic and environmental. Yeah, man, take it away. Go on. Thank you. So for the sake of making it easy to understand, because even environmental would manifest uh, psychologically in your head, Mm -hmm. which is teaching you to act that way. So that's why I just generalize it with, genetically or psychological because your psychology is influenced i think i mentioned this earlier uh by your surroundings as well and the way you're treated by society your parents your family so on and so forth so mm-hmm. it's either genetic or psychological Perfect. there is no such thing as a gay gene as far as we know therefore it must be psychological now just because it's a psychological abnormality does this mean that it's a it's a disorder actually no by the apa uh, the APA's definition, because if you were to classify anything that's irregular psychologically as a disorder, you would have to call people who are exceedingly smart. Uh, you would have to consider them people who suffer from disorders, people who are exceedingly talented. You would have to call them people who suffer from disorders. But we wouldn't deem these people as people who suffer from disorders. So the way the APA themselves describe it is something basically, and I'm, re- I'm rephrasing it, uh, basically, what, it, what they say is that it's something that hinders a person's life, something that causes harm in a way, physical or emotional harm to themselves or to others. And what we discussed, right, actually named uh, a few reasons like um, suicide rates, uh, post-op uh, depression, anxiety, uh, mental illness rates. Uh, we talked about the STD rates of homosexual people God, who are sexually active. Yes, thank you. Any, is there, are there any more that I missed? Uh, more, more than not, that's, that's more or less it. 
Okay, yeah. And this, amongst perhaps other reasons we haven't come across, we don't even, we didn't even mention in this podcast, because this podcast has been fairly short for a large topic like this. So from this, we can derive with this evidence that perhaps it actually is what the APA defines as a psychological or mental disorder, Mm -hmm. because it actually negatively impacts people's lives for these reasons which were taken from scholarly articles or academic articles uh, as well so mm-hmm. if it's not genetic it's psychological if it's psychological and and hinders a person's life harms a person's life or other people's lives it is a disorder mm-hmm. so is it impossible or illogical or homophobic or uh, unfounded to say that homosexuality might actually be a disorder not to put any disgrace to these people we love everybody for the sake of Allah, but is it, is it, is it completely uncomprehendable? Is it completely unfounded? No, it's not. It's not. From it's what we discussed. Mm-hmm. If anything, if anything, I would challenge people to bring reasons why it's actually acceptable. Because the APA, mm-hmm. the APA actually, according to Robert L. Kinney III, did not have enough sufficient evidence. And as Fayad mentioned, we're more likely, and I think you wrote an article about this as well, or somebody else did. I don't have it currently, but there are articles talking about reasons they may have actually, um, other than the traditional evidence, is reasons they may have actually removed it from the DSM. And again, we're talking about the American Psychiatric Association. Mm. I want to take a quick minute to remind everybody about cognitive dissonance. If you are frustrated right now, we are not attacking anybody. Be and let be, live and let live, right? We're not attacking anybody. We're just taking a more academic approach to the subject and quoting sources, scientific and academic sources um, by professionals in regards to all these matters we've talked about for the most part. And we're basically showing another way of viewing it. And now is that incorrect? Because a few decades ago, homos- uh, LGBTQ basically they were trying to push this idea of viewing homo, uh, homosexuality in a different light. They pushed a different view of homosexuality. So if I'm doing the same, why should I be condemned and not them? Mm. Well, not me, but us. So we're just mm-hmm. painting it in a different light, in light of evidences and in light of these academic papers. So if you are experiencing cognitive dissonance, you're feeling angry, frustrated, it's because you have two ideas in your head what you've been taught, what you believe, and what we've presented to you. You, can't, you don't want to get rid of what you believe. Nobody wants to. We're all comfortable. We're all idle. We don't want to get rid of our bubble. But you can't exactly logically or rationally just dismiss everything we've talked about. So it sits in your mind and they battle with each other, causing you to feel anxious and angry and frustrated. And you take this out on us. But the real way to deal with this would be to sit and reflect by yourself which has been shown to be very, very helpful, self-reflection. And just think about what we've talked about. Do your own research, ponder, reflect, and think about it. Especially the deductive argument we presented at the end, not genetic, psychological, psychological hindrance, therefore disorder. And see if there's any way uh, to comprehend this or to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reconcile this with Mm -hmm. your political views on homosexuality. So with that being said, we love all people for the sake of God. I'm going to pass it on to Fayed Anhel if they have any more remarks on this. Yeah, dude. So playing devil's advocate again, yeah. And this is speaking very speculative. You said that 
it's not a disorder because if someone's let's say extremely smart or extremely talented, that wouldn't be a disorder because it's um it's not disrupting their life. But I mean, bro, prime example, Elon Musk. This guy is just on another level when it comes to his state of mind and like what he does. He's very obsessive over what he he's doing. And he even had a podcast with Joe Rogan. And just from watching this podcast, from a very speculative point of view, you can tell that this guy, is, he's, he's kind of missing something or he, he's not fully content, not fully happy. So it's like, yeah, he is a mastermind. Yeah, he is doing some amazing things. Like he could be uh, the 1% of the human population who is um, ahead like almost Albert Einstein or Nikola Tesla, where it's like, okay, they are advanced. So it's like, what I'm trying to say is they may be where they are because of obsession, because of uh, having, let's say, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, that in and of itself is a known disorder. So if that is known as a disorder, if speculatively speaking, someone who is brilliant in this way is this way because of something. And, you know, there's a give and take with everything. You win somewhere, you lose somewhere else. So with that being said, would that not then make homosexuality a disorder? Um, if it does, as I think we've done a pretty good job of showing it does, um, negatively impact people's lives as individuals who are homosexual and even people who aren't in the form of eventually it, it leads to or could lead to, which it has lead to, uh, led to, um, pedophilic in, uh, actions and molestation and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, may God punish all the uh, abusive and oppressive people, the molesters and pedophiles and those um, who are vile in that nature. So what you're talking about perhaps could be more of a workaholic or somebody who is uh, almost obsessive over their works. So I wouldn't classify someone who is intellectual as suffering from a mental disorder. I'm not a psychologist, by the way. I'm not a psychologist. I'm put out there. I'm not, I don't have the facilities for that big man. <laughs> I don't have the facilities to diagnose anybody. But um, according to healthline.com, uh, as you mentioned, it leads to OCD, ADHD, they express symptoms of psychiatric disorders, which are mentioned in the, the DSM. So these people, yes, perhaps Elon Musk, I don't know, but these people may actually exhibit symptoms of mental illnesses. And there are scholarly articles on this as well. But mm. by the definition, by the definition that the APA provides, that it is harmful to a person or to people. And we have to include and to people, to others, because perhaps the psychopath is not harmful to himself. Perhaps the narcissist is not harmful to himself, but they may be harmful to other people. Mm. You would still consider a psychopath someone who suffers from mental illness. He might not be har harming himself, but he's harming other people or a sociopath or so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So Brother Rami talked a lot about the, the, how pivotal it is to worry about your psyche. Right, because we talked about how it's not genetic, so it has to be psychological. Um, so what's the big deal, guys? I'm gonna play devil's advocate again. 
you got kids in school forcing them to be princesses and wear pink dresses and you got you got girls to do the opposite and it's like what's wrong with that where's that gonna lead wrong? okay so as we talked about things like this may lead to confusing states such as gender dysphoria and gender dysphoria may lead to things like transgenderism and transgenderism very well may lead to trans regret and there are studies and documentations um, on trans regret and people who look to remove the breasts that they've grown from conducting um, from from having uh, high shots not shots but high doses of, of estrogen and so on and so forth to increase their feminine side because we talked about how everybody has a masculine and feminine side ultimately, right? And they have this from trans regret. So you might have that confusing state and so on and so forth, which a person may not. And I think this is the key point. An individual who does not suffer from a traumatic experience or is not taught certain things that confuses them would not eventually suffer from gender dysphoria, become a transgender and, tra- and go undergo trans regret. So, I think it comes down to not confusing children by implementing these views forcefully just to accept people, adults, adults who have already decided this for themselves. Why should you then confuse these children that end up making life altering decisions at a very young age, even if it is backed up by a, a um, so-called professional because these professionals, like we mentioned, misdiagnose people and efficiently and effectively, unfortunately, ruin lives. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm being blunt, guys. Like, it really does run pretty deep in school. Like, they got kids age 12, 13, they're trying to pass a bill to let them know that, hey, you can start taking these medications called puberty blockers if you feel like you're not ready to become a man for a boy and a woman for a, for a girl and you want time to transition and gather your thoughts and feelings. So you can take these hormones to stop you from entering puberty. It's like big pharma is gonna benefit, obviously, because pharmaceuticals always one of the culprits. But it's like, where, where do you draw the line? They're trying to pass a bill to, to waive parental consent from kids being able to do this. They're, they're forcing kids to alter their psychology and coercing them to then change their biology. This is not okay. That's why the Prophet wasallam, peace be upon him, cursed the man who dresses like a woman and the woman that dresses like a man because he knew that changing your psychology is only going to lead to more dis-ease. It's not going to lead to the happiness and satisfaction that you think you're going to have. And it's okay to like, there are some girls that grow up more of a tomboy. There are some guys that grow up a little more feminine. But like Rami said, that's their jihad. That's their struggle. That's their life. Everyone is created different but we're more similar than we're not but we're not the same so why should we try to become the same and just ignore our differences which make us special and unique that is very true very true dude and like you just made me think that if you have a dude who let's say he grows up only around women like that's that's what he has to to model like that's his role model as a kid and no one can dispute that as a kid you're always looking up to someone you always you always have a role model you're always trying to like be something more than you are when you're a little kid and it's like if you're a little kid and all you have is females around you and then let's say you 
go on to like start having a lot of female friends like guys what do women talk about women talk about dudes women talk about things that are feminine that are of women and it's like if a guy is around that too much like he'll start to adapt that whether he wants to or not because we are a product of our environments and it's like that's just scary man that's just scary like how many dudes nowadays are in that position and have gotten to that point where it's like well this is all that they hear this is all that they see this is all that they're living this is all they're experiencing to where it's like now they're questioning their own sexuality because the only thoughts running in their head is the programming that was instilled by their environment and by the people that were around them the entire time. That's scary, dude. SubhanAllah. That's scary. Too- let me just throw in something right there, bro. Um, yeah. And then I'm going to let you go. What's even scarier is what you're saying, bro. It's not ironically, bro. It's like it's literally science. Like they did a study, scientific literature. They proved that I believe 66 or 67 percent of all gay guys grew up either single mom, right? So no daddy. Daddy wasn't in the house. Predominantly a lot of older sisters, no brothers, no male influence, or with no parent at all. This is crazy. So you're growing up around women. You're going to start thinking like women, talk like women. I love my mom, and I'm sure you guys do too. But mama mama can raise a boy. Mama can tell a boy what to do, what to not do, be nice, do this, do that. But mama can't raise a man. Yeah, bro. Very true. And uh, relating this back to the the uh, experiments and the observations that uh, Stoller had back in the 70s with the young boys and the young girls um, being treated a certain way by society uh, affected the way their brain operated, making them more feminine if they were a boy or more masculine if they were a girl, just because of the way they were treated by their outside sources. Now, I actually asked a psychology student, a graduate um, of psychology, about this. And she mentioned to me that people actually exhibit certain characteristics that they see in others and they become a part of them, especially if they see these as good characteristics that we want to implement. For example, women have some very lovely characteristics. Our mothers uh, have some very lovely characteristics like being gentle, kind, soft, um, loving, almost exceedingly helpful where they would put themselves, they would put everybody else, their children before themselves. And if a young man, and generally speaking, this is something that is traditionally more feminine to be blunt. It is more feminine. Mm -hmm. That's why moms, mothers exhibit it mostly. So if a young man sees this and he doesn't have a father, he's going to look to the mom as the only role model. And he's going to idolize these characteristics. He's going to exhibit these characteristics and, Overall, if he takes that path, it's going to psychologically seem normal to him. Mm. And then he will continue down that path because it is normal. It is politically correct uh, and apparently scientifically correct, which we've, I think, again, done a pretty good job of showing it is not by any means. You're right, man. The best father cannot become a father and the best father cannot become a mother. Yes. Which is why which is probably why, because we can't say definitely this is why Allah said this, but which is why even though divorce is halal, it's one of the most hated things. And when shaitan 
Well, shaitan will ask a person, uh, or his, his shayateen, the little devils, the big shaitan, will ask the little devils, what did you do? One person will say, oh, I, I made a person do this and that. I made a person commit adultery. I made a person, uh, whatever. And then one shayateen, one shaitan, the little one will come and say, I made a household break apart. I made a mother and father or a husband and wife break apart. And he will say, come sit beside me because he has done the best work. Because when you disrupt the household, you disrupt the order, you effectively ruin the kids and you're effectively producing kids that may come out a little less developed or uh, a little hindered, to put it lightly, in some way. Now, every person in this circumstance is not going to come out in that sense. But as we've discussed with the statistics, predominantly, they are very likely to. So this is why it's, it's probably haram, or not haram, but it's extremely disliked to, one, get married to someone who's not good for you, or not good at all, and two, to end up in divorce. Even though it's halal, because it's necessity, it takes place, it is extremely disliked. And shaitan is the one who loves it, which means we should inevitably hate it. And guys, I'm a reverse, so don't shoot me. I'm still new to everything. But um, if I remember correctly, isn't there a hadith where the Prophet, peace be upon him, said that uh, after 40 days and 40 nights of spending time with a person, like you start to uh, basically take on the, their traits? Am I correct? Not, or is there um, something else? Perhaps. I'm not familiar with that hadith specifically, but the Prophet said, I'm. Uh, did say that loneliness is better than bad company and good company is better than loneliness. So he's saying, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. says, if anybody acts like a person, he's from amongst them. So he's making two very bold um, uh, rules. Don't be around bad people. If you act like bad people or certain people, you are from those people. If you act like a Muslim, you're from the Muslims. If you act like a Christian, you're from, you're from the Christians. If you act like an atheist, you're from the atheists. Done. So surround yourself with good people. And I believe there are other ahadith, but I don't have them off the top of my head. But um, effectively, Islamically, we know that that is true. And scientifically as well, we know that people exhibit characteristics of those who are around them and they become products of their surroundings and their environment. So that's a very it's good very point. True. It's mm. very true. And for people who are watching, um, not only do you pick up on good traits, but you actually pick up on the bad traits even the most. Like if, if you're hanging around someone right now, let's say you have a friend or a family member, and they do something that you don't like, you'll probably pick up on that trait before you pick up on any other trait because that's the one that you're paying attention to the most. Damn. Wow. Yeah. You're right, man. Facts. All right. Any final remarks, Fayad, on him? Anything else? Well, I think this mention? is one of the most important podcasts that we will ever make. And if not, definitely one of the most we've made so far. Looking forward to many. I don't know if you have anything to say. This is why you're gay, bro. <laughs> why are you gay? No, no, no. The ongoing question in our podcast is, is why are you gay, Fayad? All right, bro. I'm just going to be honest, guys. I'm gay because I know it's gay. And Damn! I look up... <laughs> And I kind of want to be like him. I'm a fanboy, so he's gay. I'm gay. Like, look at that. He's wearing black. That's why I wore black today, guys. I literally changed my shit today just to wear the same color as him. 
He has headphones too. Let me be honest with you guys. I went outside and bought these Apple same headphones as him just to like become like him. But I, I forgot that it has like a lightning cable. So I can't really plug it into my Mac. So I'm, I'm currently not exactly like him. I'm transitioning, right? Might take some meds for it, but yeah. <laughs> Rami, you got something for me? Let him talk. SubhanAllah. No, I think that, that's it for me. Uh, SubhanAllah. So, yeah. with that being said, Jazakallah khair for everybody who tuned in and stuck around to the end. May Allah bless you all. Make sure to share the podcast with those who you think will enjoy it. We appreciate all the deep thinkers out there because we ourselves, alhamdulillah, are deep thinkers. May Allah bless you all. Fayad. Before we let you guys go, just want to let you know we are starting a GoFundMe very soon to find Angel's lost beanie that he lost during our trip to Iceland. <laughs> Yo, this man is tripping. Guys, don't listen to that. <laughs> so we can have three different genies. No, I'm just playing. All right, guys. <laughs> on a real note, on a real note, the Patreon. If you guys like what we're doing here and you want to support us, make sure to check out our Patreon. Make sure to check out our socials. I will link them uh, somewhere in the video once it's posted. May Allah bless you all. And with that being said, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.